Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of SP Nation. As always, I'm your host, Scott Piper. Well, guys, we are getting close to the end of October and only have one more spooky themed episode besides today's episode left. But as a reminder, if you guys want to keep hearing some spooky stories and conspiracy theories, then... uh, please check out my other podcast, Crypt Script, which you can listen to, well, basically wherever you listen to podcasts. It's on Spotify. It's on Google Podcast. It's on Breaker. It's on Anchor. Like, pretty much everywhere you listen to podcasts, essentially. So definitely check it out. Subscribe. Because uh, once once October is over here on SB Nation, we're going to get back to regular content. And as as much fun as this has been uh, doing conspiracy theories and stuff here on SP Nation, you know what? I, I don't want this to be all this podcast is about. That's a that's what SP that's what uh, Crypt Script is fully about. But today we're taking you guys back in time, back to kind of the golden age of. Um, ocean liners, not cruise ships, but ocean liners. And the ships that we're going to be talking about today are probably two of the most famous, well, one of the most famous cruise ships of all time. And it's not necessarily famous for a good reason. Um, But We're also going to be looking at a very interesting conspiracy theory that honestly, even I sort of believe because of just how many coincidences there are in this story. And even, you know, when I was researching this episode, man, I had just kind of had to stop when I was actually writing the script for this episode because I was like, You've got to be kidding me. How how did this happen? You know, how was this allowed to, you know, carry on? But let's get into it, guys. And then at the end of it, and when you guys listen to it, tell me if you guys believe in this conspiracy theory. And is it going to say it stay just a conspiracy theory? Or maybe there's something actually more to it. Now, I assume you all have heard of this old ship called the Titanic or something. You know, I mean, come on. It's it's an old ship. I'm sure there's not that many people out there who know the Titanic. Come on. Um, But if you don't know the story, it set sail for America from Southampton. And on the way, it hit an iceberg and sank and had this greedy hoe named Rose on board who wouldn't share a floating door with Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, come on. We all know that there was room on that driftwood for Jack. Okay, don't get me fucking started. And that is why Rose, to me, 
will always be the female version of Grandpa Joe from Willy Wonka. All right. She is a villain. But she is not the villain of this story. Okay. But anyways, kind of getting off course here. Today, we're looking at the Titanic Olympic switch theory. And for everyone who's not quite familiar with the RMS Olympic, it was the first of three Olympic class ocean liners built for the White Star Line. The other two ships in the Olympic class were, of course, the Titanic. And the third ship was the Britannic. Now, two out of three ships actually went on to have pretty good lengthy careers. They both served in World War One as um well not all of them but the olympic and the britannic actually served in world war one uh and i believe britannic served in world war two um it was actually converted into a hospital ship and then olympic would actually be a troop ship during world war one um but rms stands for Royal Mail Ship. So this wasn't a cruise ship. And what I mean by this, and if you guys check out my new podcast whenever I actually get it done and get it released, because I know you guys have been wanting some good traveling stuff. We're all locked up in quarantine. But um, I'm getting ready to release my third podcast, which is Full Motion which is all about cruise ships, ocean liners, and what the difference is between the two and looking more into ships like the Britannic and Titanic and uh, probably not the Olympic because we're kind of covering it here. Um, But the difference between a ocean liner and a cruise ship is that ocean liners are kind of purpose built. Like they are meant to travel across you know, oceans, uh, carry cargo, carry, um, immigrants going from Europe to America and vice versa. Um, and then a cruise ship is really just for entertainment. They're built complete. They are built so entirely different. Like if you put a, if you put like the Titanic or any of the older, um, ocean liners, of this time period up against a cruise line or not cruise line, a cruise ship of, you know, currently, well, first of all, the size is just freaking unbelievably different. I mean, some of the current cruise liners, they break a hundred thousand tons and Titanic, I think was only 46,000 tons. So a huge different difference in size. Um, Cruise ships have built-in casinos, dance floors, restaurants. Um, there's even a freaking... One of the Carnival Cruise Line ships has like a fucking park inside with trees and plants. I mean, it's a cr- like it's crazy. But um, ocean liners... They're they're built they're built tough they're built heavy like they can take a pounding and get across you know the ocean and just basically they're tough big old bad guys who you know they're built to carry crap and carry people you know some of the amenities even though like the Titanic and eventually 
the SS Normandy and the SS United States, they would all be very luxurious, but they would still be kind of purpose built, I'd say for that, uh, transatlantic crossing. So the RMS Olympic was completed on May 31st, 1911. And its main voyage would be on June 14th of the same year. And what's and the Olympic would actually stay in service through the first world war as a troop ship. Like I said, all the way to its decommissioning and scrapping, which would begin in 1935. And, and by 1937, the ship was completely gone only to be remembered by history and having a very solid career. And by the time of her retirement, Olympic had trans had completed 257 round trips across the Atlantic. And the round trip is not um, like from London to America. That's from a London to America and then back to London or Belfast, or I believe um, since it was a white star lined vessel, it would actually be traveling out of Southampton in Ireland, I believe. Um, so it'd be going from Southampton to America to Southampton again. So it made 257 of these round trips across the Atlantic. It transported over 430,000 passengers on her commercial voyages. That's not including troops. And all in all, she traveled 1.8 million miles. But even with all these really awesome accomplishments, the Olympic would have some smudges on her very long and historic career, including striking a light ship in 1934. And just for your guys' information, a light ship is essentially the child of a lighthouse and a boat. They're used in areas where light lighthouses wouldn't quite work. Um, maybe the water's too deep for some ships to get through. You, you know, it's just kind of like a, it's just essentially a mobile lighthouse, but it would strike. And I believe actually sink this light ship. And then another incident that the Olympic was involved in was a strike back in 1912, which was really due to the Titanic's sinking. Like the Titanic, the Olympic didn't carry enough lifeboats to carry the entire crew and passengers. And in fact, this was really common with most ocean liners of this time period. They were severely under, under prepared for an event like what the Titanic, what happened to the Titanic were you have just all kinds of crap going on and no one's going to lifeboats or lifeboats are getting half launched early. Like it, it was so something like the Titanic was something that should never have happened. So they just no cruise ship care or no ocean liner at the time carried enough of these life lifeboats around. But after the Titanic sinking, the life of li the lack of lifeboats was really out in the public eye. Like that was like the main thing that everyone was like, yo, you got to fix this because death, you know? <laughs> so, um, 
when Olympic returned back to Britain right after the Titanic sank, it was, I guess it was in America and it was on its way back to Britain. It was really quickly fitted with a bunch of secondhand collapsible lifeboats that were transferred from troop ships. And these lifeboats were not in good condition at all. A bunch of them were dry rotted and some of them wouldn't even open. And since most and since on the Titanic, most of the firemen who were responsible for keeping the boilers stoked with coal were still below deck during the sinking. And most of them had died. So the firemen for the Olympic were scared of being in the exact same situation and actually refused to sail until until there would be new lifeboats installed on the ship. And what did all these strikers get for standing up for safety and wanting to survive another Titanic disaster? Well, 54 of them were arrested for mutiny. And this went so far that this was taken to court. And all 54 of them were found guilty of mutiny. Like, that's insane. However, they were not fined or imprisoned because the White Star Line was actually really scared that the public would side with these men. And plus, the White Star Line was already kind of in the shithouse because of, you know, oh, I don't know, one of their biggest unsinkable, can't even be sunk by God, ocean liners sunk. So they weren't exactly like, you know, they weren't top of the heap currently. And there's still one last incident of the Titanic that I really want to home in on. And it is a collision with another ship that would really sow the seeds for today's conspiracy episode. And this is where things with the White Star Line and the Titanic and the Olympic kind of get very coincidental at best and very kind of brutal would be the worst out of this. So this goes back all the way to 1911 Olympics. First major mishap occurred on just her fifth voyage on September 20th, 1911 when she collided with the British cruiser HMS Hawk. The collision took place as Olympic and Hawk were running parallel to each other. And as Olympic turned to starboard, which I believe that's right. Probably should have researched that one because I forgot. I know the bat, like if you're, I'm pretty sure starboard is right. I'm sure some naval people are going to be like, no, you bloody fool, starboard is left. Whatever. Okay. I'm sorry. Please don't make me walk the plank or whatever. Um, anyways, because of the wide radius of her turn, the commander of 
the turn really took the commander of the hawk by surprise because it's essentially this big ass cruise ship that just randomly swerves i mean it's like being on the interstate and a semi truck halfway swerving into your lane and the commander of the hawk just wasn't able to avoid the huge cruise ship and the Hawk's bow, which had been designed to actually sink ships by ramming them, collided with t- with the Olympic starboard side rear rear near the stern. Try saying that five times fast. Tearing two large holes in the Olympics hull, one above the waterline and the second below the waterline, resulting in the flooding of two of her watertight compartments and a twisted propeller shaft. Remember the twisted propeller shaft because it's going to come back up here in a little while. So even despite this, Olympic was able to return to Southampton under her own power. And luckily, no one was seriously injured or killed in this collision. The HMS Hawk, on the other hand, suffered severe damage to her bow and actually nearly capsized and when I look at the fo- when I looked at photos of the accident, man, the hawk was r- just freaking ripped to shit on the front. Like, I I I don't. It it, it was bad to say the least. It, it looked like one of those car accidents that you see where one one car looks decent and the other one is just the front's just gone on it. Um, but anyway, at the following inquiry, the Royal Navy blamed Olympic completely for the disaster alleged and alleging that her large size generated a suction that pulled the Hawk into her side. And this is actually the same thing that would actually happen later when Titanic would leave the Harbor in Southampton, where, Um, the cables holding the SS city of New York snapped and pulled the vessel into the Titanic's path. So this wasn't like a, this wasn't like a one-off occurrence. You know, when you, when you have such a large ship, that large ship creates waves. It creates its own movement around the boat. So I there's definitely strong evidence that shows that this can happen. This happened to the other Olympic class vessel. So it's something that maybe when they were building the Titanic or maybe Britannic, because Titanic, I believe had already started it's um, keel lane and everything, but maybe on the Britannic, they should have looked back at some of the mistakes that, the Olympic and the Titanic too would actually have such as, you know, having this large suction, you know, maybe there's some sort of fins they could have put on the underside to redirect that flow of water or something. I, I don't know. I'm not a shipbuilder. If I was, I'd be making more money. <laughs> Anyways, the Hawk incident was a financial disaster for the white star line. A legal argument ensued, which decided that the blame for the incident lay solely with the Olympic. The White Star Line 
was faced with large legal bills and the cost of repairing the ship and keeping her out of revenue service made matters even worse. However, the fact that the Olympic endured such a serious collision and stayed afloat seemed to reinforce the Olympic class's reputation as unsinkable. It took two weeks for the damage to Olympic to be patched up sufficiently to allow her to return to Belfast for more permanent repairs, which took place just over six weeks to complete. And by November 29th, the Olympic was back in service. But this would not last. However, in February 1912, the Olympics suffered another major setback when she lost a propeller blade on an eastbound voyage from New York and once again returned to her builder for repairs. Now that we kind of have a backstory about the Olympic, here is where we actually start to get into the actual switch theory. Okay. So pay attention now, folks. Not saying that you guys aren't, but this is where things start to really come together. And there's a lot of stuff here. After the collision with the Hawk, the White Star Lines insurers, Lloyds of London, um, allegedly refused to to pay out anything for the Olympic because of the blame being solely placed on the Olympic and the White Star Line. And this this would this is basically saying that their insurance company wasn't paying for any of the repairs for the Olympic because of the court inquiry, basically. And this accident would actually cause even more headache for the White Star Line because not only do you have one of the newest and the biggest flagships for the white star line being out of service because the Olympic it's having extensive repairs done. It's getting the hole patched up. It's getting its propeller shaft replaced and it's getting now it's getting a propeller blade having to be reinstalled. But guess what? The Titanic was also Still not out of dry dock yet because this is where, and now this is where things get very different for things. The propeller shaft and the propeller blade both came off of the Titanic, which put the completion date way behind schedule. And before I get more into this episode when I was researching this it, it brought up a no, it brought up a very interesting question that I had never thought about before and one that even while googling and that sounds really dirty now that I say that um, when I was googling this information I asked this question and got no responses at all there was no answer to this whatsoever why did White Star Line replace the Olympics propeller shaft with the Titanic when you have the Britannic's 
hole that had just been laid down. And especially considering in February 1912, when the propeller blade came off the Olympic, the bridge, the Britannic had already been under construction for four months. And it felt like it would have been a smarter and more cost efficient like move to take a propeller shaft and a propeller from a shift that it wasn't going to sail for another, I think it's like three years before the Britannic actually launched. So why I don't understand the thought process of taking a propeller shaft off a, you know, a, a ship that's already pretty much completed and putting that ship behind schedule on top of putting your current big boy that's already kind of in trouble even more behind schedule so in other words in it, it just blows my mind when i was trying to figure that this one out and it's still even as i'm making this episode makes me really question why this was done because i'm sure there i'm sure there's a reason for it but i just don't understand why they didn't use the britannic's propeller shaft unless it hadn't been forged or created yet but it's it, it went ahead and put two ships down and out of service and behind schedule versus putting one ship you know out of service for a little while and then potentially pushing back a later ship that wasn't even going to launch for a couple of years versus putting one that's you know 90% completed out of commission for longer anyways the amount of downtime and repairs would amount to serious financial losses for the company and they needed to get one of these ships up and running and traveling to start earning money but the badly damaged Olympic would be patched up. And this is where things get a little bit funny. The theory goes that the badly damaged Olympic would be patched up and then converted to become the Titanic, allowing the real Titanic, which had no damage and really just a, you know, propeller shaft issue to enter service quicker and quietly as the Olympic. So basically the switch theory is white star line. Didn't they needed one of the, they needed one of their big boys to essentially get in the water. Now they couldn't afford any more setbacks with these, with the Olympic class. They already had two out of three costing them a huge, you know, I don't want to make a pun here, but a boatload of money. Ha <laughs> Anyways. Um, so instead of waiting for the Olympic to get patched up, which was going to take longer because of the whole plating and reinstalling a new propeller shaft and probably doing some other little things. We're just going to put the Olympic on the back burner and then we're going to, you know, launch the Titanic as the Olympic. So 
I'm not saying that this is solid evidence of the switch, but the Titanic did have a two degree list to port leaving Southampton. And guess what else? The Olympic also had the exact same two degree list to port. And this was actually noted by several Titanic survivors who had even traveled on the Olympic, including Lawrence Beasley and Norman Chambers. Now, it really wouldn't be too hard to switch two ships like the Titanic and the Olympic around because they're essentially identical minus a few, um, you know, a few like porthole changes and things like that. But it would be like on Star Trek four when <clears throat> after the enterprise has been destroyed in the last movie or whatever, um, it would be like when they took the USS Yorktown and slapped the enterprise a name on there and send it on its way. So it really wouldn't be that hard to do since there was really only a few parts of either ship that bore the ship's name other than the easily removed lifeboats, bell compass and nameplates. Everything else was standard white star issue and was really interchangeable between the two ships. Also something interesting to note, all the other White Star ships had their names engraved on their hulls. But guess what? The Titanic alone had her name riveted on the top. And we're going to get more into this theory right after this quick commercial break. Stay tuned. All right, we are back. And after listening to that um, advertisement, I really realized that I need to re-record that because that was actually recorded way back before episode one of SP Nation even come out. And actually, I had more trouble recording that stupid advertisement versus um, the actual episode for that week. I think I, I think it took like an hour and a half to record that that little clip versus like the 45 or 50 minute episode. <laughs> so um, I need to go back and change that bad boy out. Um, but welcome back. We are going to get back into this really interesting mystery. So as I said before break, the Titanic alone had her name riveted over the top of the the whole plating. It was suggested that the Olympic had allegedly been damaged beyond economic repair. And the plan was to dispose of the Olympic in a way that would allow white star to collect the full insured amount of a brand new ship. So it was suggested that the seacocks were to be opened at sea to slowly flood the ship. And seacocks are essentially, even I don't really understand what they are. I guess they let fresh water in and let bad water out. And that's a really piss poor description of that. But but you get the general idea. Um, So the ship was supposed to slowly flood 
and numerous ships were stationed nearby to take the passengers off the ship. So the shortage of lifeboats would not really matter as the ship would sink slowly in a controlled way and boats could make several trips to get the uh, rescue rescuees, I guess rescuees. Um, Another thing to look at is the length of Titanic sea trials. The Olympics trial trials in 1911 took two days and included several high speed runs to make sure everything was going good uh, make sure the ship could get up to speed and hold her speed and, um, you know, all that good stuff. But the Titanic's trials reportedly only lasted for one day and only worked over half speed. Now, this is allegedly because the patched up hull could not take any long periods of high speed or Perhaps this was due to the fact that Titanic was a nearly twin sister of the Olympic, and she was expected to handle exactly the same. So on April 14th, 1912, which was the night that the Titanic sank, First Officer Murdoch, who was not even on duty yet, was on the bridge because he was one of the few high-ranking officers other than Captain Smith who knew of the plan and was keeping watch out for the rescue ships that were supposed to be there to assist in the sinking. But I just want to take a very quick minute to talk about Captain Edward Smith. This man... At 40 years at sea. And guess what his previous ship command was before the RMS Titanic? The RMS Olympic. And to make things even more insane was that Smith was at the helm during the collision with the HMS Hawk. Now... Why would you go and make the man who has already been blamed and claimed to be at fault for a huge black eye on the reputation of your ocean line and caused a big delay in launching of another of your flagships? Like, you, this man is essentially responsible for both Olympic-class vessels that were pretty much done to still be sitting and collecting major debt for an ocean liner. And yet, White Star Line puts this dude in charge of the Titanic. Like, I I don't see why they did this unless they really were planning on something and had something up their sleeve. Like... Even if he had 40 years of, you know, naval experience, I mean, he still is really, he's still kind of responsible for what's going on currently with White Star Line. And Titanic, there, there's way more examples of 
kind of fishy shit that happened, such as the Titanic didn't allow for any public examination before its voyage, possibly out of fear that it would be found out by experts that the Olymp- that it was the actual Olympic in disguise. Then there are also photographs taken of Titanic at Southampton shortly before her maiden voyage, showing a large area of discolored plating as if it had been newly painted with paint that did not quite match the original in the exact same location as the Olympics hole was damaged by the HMS Hawk. So even if this theory winds up not being true, there are so many freaking inconsistencies and very piss poor management that I'm going over here. Like, there's so much into this theory that I really feel like this could end up being a mini series of episodes. Like it's insane. The amount of research on this is, and there was also more than 50 first class passengers who canceled at the last minute. And many of them being friends and and business associates of JP Morgan and JP Morgan who had money tied up in the White Star Line after joining the Ocean Line in 1902, also canceled his passage, claiming that he was ill. Morgan was found two days later by a reporter in good health at a French resort with his mistress. Oh boy, that must have been awkward... Anyways, Morgan also had several valuable bronze statues removed from the ship just one hour before she sailed. Florence Ismay, wife of Jay Bruce Ismay, chairman of the White Star Line, in case you didn't know, also canceled along with her children. And just like Morgan, she said she was ill. And instead went on a motoring holiday. So you already have a bunch of really high class rich people who know each other, who work together, and they all cancel kind of at the same time on what's allegedly supposed to be the biggest ship, the most unsinkable ship. The grandest ship of all time. And you don't want to be on that maiden voyage for what reason? And later on, after the sinking, 13 lifeboats were recovered from the wreckage and taken to New York, where the name Titanic was sanded off and numbers removed to deter souvenir hunters. So they would just Kind of be, oh, hey, lifeboat. That's not the Titanic's. But I guess during this process, workers allegedly discovered the name Olympic carved into the gunwales. As the old name had been just filled in with putty and painted over. So, I don't know. It's not looking good that that's the Titanic under the ocean right now, guys. 
There's also reports that the Titanic was purposely positioned so that when it would strike the iceberg that was near its path, once again, come on, like, if you see an iceberg on the left side of the ship, you need to turn right to avoid it. And it's also been extremely heavily suggested that if the Titanic had just struck the iceberg head on, then it should have actually survived and not sunk. It probably would have to been in the repair dock for an extended amount of time to get the bow probably completely replaced or reshaped, but it should have, it should have stayed afloat because the Titanic was, I believe designed to stay afloat with is either three or five of her watertight compartments flooded. So anything over that number, it was going to sink, which coincidentally it hit more than one of the watertight compartments. Now, if the Titanic had actually just rammed it head on, I'm sorry. I know I'm not the greatest person at math, but even I know that's just one compartment. Yeah, you probably would add quite a bit of frame damage and probably a few people with whiplash, but you still would have stayed afloat, probably. Or at least if you had started to sink, it would have taken a lot longer to sink than what I guess the three hours that it took Titanic. So now you're kind of, you're kind of seeing the picture of what's unfolding here. You, you're seeing a lot of little, are, are these coincidences or is this just, you know, something that happens, which I don't see any other ship in the entire history of naval exploration where something like the Titanic happens, except for the Costa Concordia. And that's going to actually end up being an episode of full motion later on after it comes out. And I'm going to start focusing real quick on some of the biggest examples of IDGAF probably on the Titanic that honestly, you're, you're going to see what I mean here in a second. 10 days before the Titanic set sail, there had actually been a fire burning in one of the Titanic's coal bins, and it continued to burn all the way up to the night it sank. Now, how in the hell do you allow this to happen? Especially during a major worldwide coal strike that had been going on for over a month. And by the time Titanic had set sail, it had sort of ended. Like ships weren't exactly back to normal uh, routes and everything like that. So there was still this major coal shortage. And this would be akin to basically taking 100 gallons of gasoline and just burning the f crap out of it during the gas gas shortage in the 70s when it was being rationed. 
And this is just a serious waste of resources, especially on a supposed brand new ship. Unless you actually planned on sinking a ship and didn't really care how much coal was actually on board because you were going to get the money back for the entire ship in a, oh, I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for here? Oh, that's right. Insurance claim. Then there's the crew. The crew of the Titanic were ill prepared for an emergency such as a sinking. Ships like the Olympic class were seen as largely unsinkable, and especially with the RMS Olympic surviving the collision with the Hawk, it may have seemed like these large ships were just so much safer than the old ships that had come beforehand. So lifeboats were intended just to transfer passengers onto nearby rescue vehicles and return back to the ship that was sinking if it was and pick up some more people and everything was supposed to be peachy keen and no one ever had planned for anything major to happen. But Titanic being the huge ship that was at the time only had enough lifeboats to carry about half of the people on board. And if the ship had carried her full complement of about 3,339 passengers, which reminds you, the Titanic did not leave Southampton with a full complement of guests. It only had, I believe, 1,400 uh, passengers on board. So the Titanic wasn't even remotely fully, uh, fully packed for her first voyage. So there was only about a third of these full 3000 plus passengers that would have been saved. The crew had also not been trained adequately on carrying out an evacuation. The officers did not know how many passengers they could safely put aboard the lifeboats and launched many of them barely half full during the sinking and the third class passengers were largely left to fend for themselves, causing many of them to be trapped below decks as the ship filled with water. The same with the fire crew guys. They were all trapped below deck because no one knew what the hell they were doing, apparently, which I, I just don't understand the lack of crew training on this. And even going even more further, there's the very unprofessional crew member that you probably may probably haven't heard of before. Um, there's, there's a, there's a, I'm sorry, I'm getting kind of worked up here. There's an operator named Lightoller. I forgot his name. Charles Lightoller. Good guy. Survived the Titanic and would actually go on to serve on the Carpathia. One of the ships who came to actually pick up the Titanic or Olympic, um, survivors. We're not talking about Mr. Charles Lightoller. We're talking about his, the other radio operator, Jack Phillips. And he, everything I've read about him 
on this main voyage, the dude seems like a serious jerk ass because when the SS Californian was trying to send the Titanic iceberg warnings, Philip Phillips would actually cut the radio off and tell the radio operator of the Californian to shut up. It was also said that he really didn't take the iceberg warnings seriously and several of the warnings wouldn't even leave the radio room. And this would actually come back to bite the Titanic in the ass when they tried to contact the Californian later on, only for the ship to have turned off its radio. Which is kind of customary, because I guess they were going to bed, allegedly going to bed, or maybe they're just like... I don't know, that uh, Phillips dude was an asshole, so who's shutting up now, buddy boy? (laughs) Anyways, then finally we get to the area that the Titanic sank in. It is literally known as Iceberg Valley, and yet Captain Edwards, a man, once again, of 40 years of naval experience, said screw it and never slowed the ship's speed to and headed towards this extremely dangerous area. And I mean, come on, we have multiple iceberg warnings, sightings, and there was even some other ships out there. They had stopped the in their own traveling because of the ice. And yet you have the supposed flagship going full speed ahead. And it just makes no sense unless you are so full of shit that you believe the unsinkable thing so much. So that, Hey, this ship can't take icebergs. No, it can't. But At this point of this writing and doing more research on this subject, it is so hard to deny the mounting evidence as something selfish and something, you know, just wrong did actually happen. Maybe the White Star Line did swap ships to collect a nice insurance policy. I mean, there seems to be a lot of inconsistencies taken in photos of the Titanic during construction versus how it was finished, like extra portholes being gained, or even some of the spacing on B deck gets a bit uneven. That's just kind of doesn't necessarily happen overnight unless there's a major refit, which out of a brand new ship, you refit it like two days before launch. There's no way. So there's all this built up evidence of severely undertrained crew, a captain that should have known better. And yes, I get it. It was Jay Bruce is me who kind of forced the Titanic to go full speed ahead, even through iceberg warnings. But the captain still could have said, Hey, no, we've got all these iceberg warnings. We got to slow shit down or otherwise I don't know. We're going to get sunk. There's just so much to this theory 
and I don't, and I just don't know if this can be listed as a theory anymore, or if this can be looked at as something more of a, you know, there's a lot of evidence. Maybe something did happen, but there's a, there's so much research you guys can do on this on your own. And I really encourage you to go check out, um, some websites, go to Google, type in uh, Olympic Titanic swap theory. There's a lot of crazy shit to this that I didn't even get to. Um, like White Star Line increasing the insurance value on Titanic before it sailed. Like, that's like right before killing someone, taking out a life insurance policy. Like, it just, oh, gosh, White Star Line. But that's going to be it for this episode. I've gotten all worked up. I've given you guys something to really think about on this episode. And if you guys want to know more about the Titanic or the Britannic or just ocean liners in general, then you really got to check out my upcoming podcast called Full Motion. It's going to be coming out probably next week if I can get everything completely where I want it to be on there. And the first episode is going to be about the Titanic and I'm going to get more into its building, its origins and why to me, the Titanic is the most overrated ocean liner in history. Um, and if you guys want to know more about conspiracy theories, follow, uh, follow Crypt script and go check it out. I've got, uh, I got two episodes out on it. One about HH Holmes great con man and uh my newest episode is about chernobyl make sure you guys follow and subscribe to stay up to date when i'm releasing episodes and good stuff for your ears but as always this is scott piper thank you for listening and remember to sleep scared out there bye guys do you believe in